If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. I have at home on my computer a software program called Dragon. And it is a speaking software where it doesn't matter whether I'm in Word or Excel or even drawing up emails. As I speak into the microphone, in this case I have headset and microphones, it just puts it down. You can give it commands. You can tell it start a parenthesis, end a parenthesis, new line, and it's, it's very, very good. And yesterday, my son-in-law came over to visit me, and he came downstairs in my office where I was studying. And, and so I took the headphones off, and I hung them up over here. And I said, uh, so John, what can I do for you? And we were talking, and I happened to notice movement out of the side of my eye, and I looked over, and I had forgotten to turn off Dragon, and here it was just going to town 90 miles an hour. So my sermon was really kind of... Uh, it took me about 15 minutes to go ahead and get back on track again. But it's really amazing some of the things they have uh, in software. I'm just, I don't even try and keep up with it anymore. Two weeks ago I started a series about the obstacles in our life that would keep us from having a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I used the narrative of the children of Israel as they were ready to go into the promised land for the first time. And for the children of Israel, the obstacles that kept them from entering into the, promise, the promises that God had for them were literally giants. They were very, very large people. And it didn't matter that for the last 12 months of their journey, that God had fed them and had protected them and had cared for them. The bottom line was they went to go into the land that God had promised them and there were giants in the land and this was an obstacle that kept them from believing that God could or would fulfill His promise to them. And with many Christians I have found out over the years it's the same way. We have obstacles in our life, giants as if it were, things that prevent us from having a mature relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same with almost any relationship. It's the same with a marriage relationship. Now, there are some Christians who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's as far as they want to go. I mean, if they died, they'd go to heaven. But here on earth, they really don't, they say, want to bother God. They'll do the best they can, but as far as their relationship with the Lord, well, really, I don't want to go any farther. And that's their choice. That's their choice. But for you, I'm sharing with you the story this morning in the hope that it will help you in your relationship with the Lord, there is something about in your lifetime, if you have five people that you can call intimate friends, you're a blessed individual. 
there's something about having an individual that you can be intimate with. And I don't mean that in a sexual connotation. But I just mean that, you know, I have, I had two in my life. Um, and when they were gone, I missed them. We pastored churches. One of them and I pastored a church. He pastored a church three, four miles from me in Austin. We were at the house of the Lord, which was about 750 adults. We'd get together two, three times a week. We would play golf. And then the gentleman who was our bishop was the third party on that. And I'll admit there was a few times when we would do a few mischievous things. But there was something about that relationship and there's something about being intimate with the Lord. There's just something there. And we learned last week that one of the first obstacles or giants that can be in our life is a lack of knowledge. Hosea says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And the word destroyed there in the Hebrew is only one time in the Bible and it's right in that passage of scripture and it's the Hebrew word Dhamma and it simply means to fail or to be cut off or to be brought to silence and so (coughs) excuse me because Christians don't have knowledge of God because they don't have knowledge of what God has done for them or what he will do for them they are cut off from his blessings they're cut off from his help because Christians don't know God's promises They don't know his heart. They don't know um, what he will do for them or they believe them. They're brought to silence because they have nothing to praise God for. Everything looks helpless. And so one of the giants is uh, a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And many times that lack of knowledge comes from what we read in the Bible. It's wonderful if you read the Bible, but if the only thing you read is the Old Testament and the Gospels, the Old Testament and the Gospels will only take you to the cross and the open tomb. And they take you no farther. They don't tell you the results of the crucifixion or the resurrection, but the rest of the books, the 24 books, the rest of them, tell you your rights and privileges as a Christian. They tell you your rights in Christians. And I want you to know something. When you made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you came into the family of God. And you have rights and privileges belonging in that family. And then another giant that looms very large in many Christians' lives is fear. Um, Fear comes in many forms. There are many times afraid that if they get intimate with God, that they're going to start acting like somebody that they know that attends another church or that they've seen on TV. And I don't want to act like that. Well, the Bible is full of scriptures we learn that show you that God has given us a choice. We get to choose who we want to serve, whether we want the blessings of the Lord in our life or whether we don't. We get to choose whether or not we want to spend eternity in the new heaven and the new earth or whether we want to spend it in the lake of fire. And understand something, church. Unless it's a chemical imbalance in the life of an individual, 
People act the way they do because that's the way they've chosen to act. That's the way they've chosen to act. God does not force anyone to act a certain way. And fear as you mature in your relationship with God that you're going to be compelled to act a certain way. That is a trick of your imagination. That is either the input from an individual who doesn't want you to grow in your relationship with God because you'll make them feel guilty or it's an attack of the enemy. And so understand that. And then another fear that many Christians have is fear that God is going to force us to do something we don't want to do. God never forces anyone to do anything. Psalm 37 and 4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 says, Since God did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us every good thing? Listen, God doesn't force people to do anything. God didn't force me to become a minister. He didn't. God doesn't force us to do anything. God doesn't force us to obey Him. If He did, the world would be a lot different than it is today. And then another fear a lot of Christians have is that God's going to cause them to suffer. Now the Bible does tell us that while we're here on earth, we're going to have problems and there is going to be suffering. There's going to be trials and tribulations. But these are not brought on by God. God doesn't bring these on. James tells us that only good and perfect things come from God. James tells us that. And in Psalm 68:19, Blessed be the Lord God who daily loads us with benefits. Matthew 6:33, Jesus talking said this, Look, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. What other things is He talking about? If you look at verse 32 up to verse 1, there's a whole list of things that God desires that we have. And then Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said this, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, these verses don't sound like a God who wants us to suffer and put suffering on us. Instead, it tells us about the goodness of the Lord. And so understand that that the fear that God's going to cause you to suffer is unfounded. Well, what about the Apostle Paul? If you want to know about the Apostle Paul, I'll tell you about him in Corinthians. He said it was a messenger of Satan that was sent after him. doesn't say it was God at all. Well, God tempted me. Read James. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God tempts no man. So, see, understand that. Now, another giant that many Christians face in their life is procrastination. Now, let me stop right here and say this. When it comes to physical work, I don't believe there's a person within the sound of my voice who is lazy. Farmers and ranchers and people in rural communities are some of the hardest working people that I've ever seen. So that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is what about the spiritual side? What about your spiritual life? Let me tell you something. Whether or not this fellowship, this church succeeds, 
is only partly based on who you have in the pulpit. It's also the responsibility of the rest of the body of Christ, those who attend here, the church members. And if you've made a profession of faith in the Lord, and you attend this church on a regular basis, then you're part of this local body. You're part of this organization. And as with any organization, if you want this body to succeed, if you want this fellowship to succeed and not die out, you have an obligation to take your place in this fellowship, both spiritually and physically. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All of you together are Christ's body. He's writing this to the Christians. And each of you is a part of it. And God has put each part just where he wants it. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are honored. We're part of a body. We all have a job. And Ephesians tells us that the purpose of this fellowship is number one in Ephesians chapter 4, to bring people to the knowledge of Christ. Listen, there are people out there that may have gone to church their whole life and never made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you may not know that. You may not know that. And number two... The other part of the thing is, so we're supposed to bring people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only through our words, but through our deeds. We're supposed to edify and build up others in the body. There may be someone sitting behind you, in front of you, or next to you, that's going through one of the most terrible times in their life. And you may never know it without prayer, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And there's two ways that this gets done that we bring people to the knowledge of Christ and we build up one another in the body. There's the spiritual side and there's the physical side. And the problem is that a lot of church people and a lot of churches, they remember the physical side, but they procrastinate when it comes to the spiritual side. Understand, the church is a spiritual entity, but it's manifested in the natural. This Bible is real. And what it says about the Lord is real. It's a reality. Christ, if you've made a profession of faith, Christ lives inside of you. His Spirit lives inside of you. And I can tell you truthfully, the only way, the only way that anything good comes from me is because of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within me and my submission to the Word. That's it. it. It changes us. And the physical side of the church is that everybody has a gift and the church and the local church needs that gift. Every one of us has a gift. But if you're not spending time in prayer... You're you're not going to know your gift. Now, you might guess at it, and you might find something to do and help out, but I can tell you something. If that's not the gift that God has for you, you're going to grow tired and weary. And after a little while, you're going to quit doing that gift. Or instead of being a blessing in that gift, you're going to be a great big pain in the neck. 
you're going to gripe and complain. And so then the church is back to finding another volunteer. When you have a church that has volunteers, but those volunteers don't have a growing relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ, the church then becomes just another social organization. That's it. Oh, they may get together once a week, sometimes twice. They may sing a few hymns. They may pray a few prayers. They may recite a few scriptures and they may even take communion and do some good things now and then. But the presence of the Lord isn't in it. Church, that physical process alone does not work. And you can never help anyone any farther in their spiritual life than where you are at. And so if you spend little or no time in prayer or reading the Bible, then how are you going to be able to share with people the grace of God? Or how are you going to be able to encourage others to read the Bible? If you tell them to do it and you don't, then you're a hypocrite. And you can never lead people any deeper in the Lord than where you're at. I remember we were pastoring a church in Ohio and we felt led of the Lord to have a pastor's conference. And there was a man in our church and his wife and I would go up and hug Bob and Bob would do this. And I don't know why, but I just felt that I'd go up and hug Bob. And he would just do this. Wonderful couple. Wonderful couple. Eventually they went on to be our youth leaders. And I felt led of the Lord to have a pastor's conference. And so we, had, we, we set it up. And we had pastors from seven states in Canada who came to the conference. And as... I was bringing this, getting ready and assigning, calling and getting speakers to come in. I really felt led to go to Bob and said, Bob, I'd like you, if you don't mind, to give a layman's view of the pastor. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you sit out in the congregation, you're faithful. What does it mean to you? What should a pastor be? And I remember it's been 30 some years ago hadn't it? He got up, he agreed and he got up in front of these pastors and he said my pastor comes up and hugs me and he said I go stiff and I know he thinks I don't like it. But I've never had anyone hug me before. Pastor, don't you ever quit. And I can't go deeper in God than what you go. Don't ever quit learning. And I never forgot that. I would have never visualized that from that individual. And you can't 
take anyone any deeper than you are. It doesn't work. And if you don't know how the Bible tells you to pray, how can you pray effectively for yourself and and others? And if you don't spend time in prayer, how can you tell other people to? If you don't know what the Bible says about healing, how can you minister healing to someone who's going through a tragic time? How can you? And if you don't know or believe what Jesus did on the cross through His death or resurrection, how can you minister God's grace to someone who's hurting? Especially if that individual is someone who in the past has wronged you. How can you do that? I can tell you on your own, you can't. In closing, I want to ask you two rhetorical questions. The first one has three parts to it. When was the last time you spent quality time in prayer? For your pastors, that God would strengthen them and give them the right words to teach. When was the last time you spent quality time in prayer, praying for this church and the people in it? And calling them out by name before God. And asking God to bless those who who have attended. And to bring others in so they can hear of the goodness of the Lord. And asking God to make this church a blessing to the community. When was the last time you spent quality time praying that this church would minister God's grace to, to all who enter, that those who come to this fellowship would be blessed, would be healed, would come to know the love of God. Not just the joy of fellowship. First one is, when was the last time you spent quality time in prayer? The second rhetorical question I want to ask is, When was the last time you spent quality time reading the Bible other than the Old Testament and the Gospels? I've spent the last 45 years reading and studying this book. And I want you to know that inside the pages of this book are the promises and wonderful and wonders and wonderful things of God that I never knew existed that is for us while we're here on this earth and when we leave this earth. And this book has never grown monotonous or boring. It never has in 45 years. Listen to what Isaiah 64 and 4 says. No one has ever, since the beginning of time, no one has ever seen or heard of a God like you who does such deeds for those who put their hope in Him. Wow! In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, what no one has ever saw or heard and what no one has ever thought could happen is the very thing God has prepared for those who love Him. 
And he's not talking just about the sweet by and by. Listen, you can never get intimate with someone without knowing them and knowing their heart. And the only way you can get intimate with God is through reading His Word and through spending time in prayer with Him. What giants are in your land today? Is it fear? Is it lack of knowledge? Procrastination? Are those giants keeping you from learning of the wonderful thing God has for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are such a good God. You're not a God who condemns us, but instead you're a God that opens the door so that, Lord, no matter what we've done, we can walk into your presence. And you're the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And your desire for us is that we fellowship with you. Lord, as we take heed to what the Apostle Paul said in that we we look at ourself. Lord, help us to realize the wonders there are, not only contained in the pages of this book we call the Bible, but the wonders there are in knowing you and your love. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.